0: So, yeah, as Isaac said, my name is David Lyons. I'm one of the members of staff uh, here at St. Mungo's. And it's a great joy to be able to uh, continue in our series that we're walking through, uh, where we're looking at identity. So in my office, I've got a little glass cube on my desk, which is a gift that I was given from an old head teacher when I left, and it's full of all these different motivational quotes. I cherish it more because of who gave it to me as opposed to the quotes themselves, but I do think, generally speaking, who doesn't love a motivational quote? Coasters, posters, um, and various other things, calendars. Uh, perhaps, uh, if you've read any of these, you might have come across this one from Dostoevsky. The mystery of human existence lies not just in staying alive, but in finding something to live for. Or maybe this one from Tom This. Having a purpose is the difference between making a living and making a life. As we search around for the answer to the question, who am I? It inevitably leads us to the question, What am I here for? As we look at today's main passage, we'll see how Peter answers the questions around our identity and in doing so, reveals our destiny. Peter's addressing here Christians, both those that he's writing to uh, and anyone who's listening today who's accepted Jesus as their saviour. So please do turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and we're going to read verses 9 and 10. So we'll firstly look through these verses and we'll learn a little bit about our identity. And then we're going to circle back and we're going to see what it means for our purpose. So Peter tells us that in Jesus, number one, we are chosen. To get a really comprehensive view of our chosenness and what it means to be chosen uh, by God. Go back uh, to the website, uh, head back to the 4th of September. And Ollie uh, gave us a brilliant talk on what it means to be chosen in him. But a couple of comments on what Peter is talking about here in terms of our chosenness. So you see, it's really common in our culture for our identity to try and assign that to maybe the race group that we're from, or the community we live in, or the socioeconomic background that we're in, the culture, the tradition that we're part of. But Peter here says, no, if you're a Christian, then our identity is not bound to those things. Whilst they may impact and shape our personality, our preferences, our practices, they don't define our identity. As believers in Jesus, we are chosen people made up of believers from all across the globe, all different cultures, all races, all classes, all the different divides that we can think of come together as God's people before anything else you are chosen by God he chose you not because of where you live or what culture you grew up in what race you are how good you've been what you've done but God chose you because of his furious his pursuing love for you I heard recently of a young man who was uh, at a meal with a range of different people from uh, different religions around the world. They were sharing food together and they were talking about their experiences of faith. This young man had grown up in a Muslim household and then converted to Christianity. As a consequence, the relationship with his family had become very difficult. And someone at the table asked him, they said, How did you become a Christian? What was the process? How long did it take? What did you have to study? What did you have to do in order to become a Christian? And he answered, he said, the thing about Christianity when compared with other religions is that it's not about what I have done to become a Christian, but it is all about what God has done. It's all about his grace. The relationship with my parents is difficult, but I know who I am. I know where my identity is as a chosen, loved son of God. And so I just live from that place. Because of God's outrageous grace, his unconditional pursuing love, we are a chosen people. Number two, we are mercied. At the end of verse 10, Peter says, "'Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy.'" And the Greek word which is translated here as mercy is a verb. The English language does not have a verb for mercy, so I just added an ED on the end uh, and made one up. So we're mercied. This is all about, again, God's actions and how God's actions define who we are, as opposed to the worldview that we're in, that we create and we de- decide ourselves who we are. In Psalm 103, we read, The Lord is full of compassion and of mercy. When God, he saw us in our sin, he saw us with no hope, he was filled with compassion, and because of this compassion, he extended mercy. God did not just stand back when he saw our situation, he was moved with compassion and into action, and he gave us mercy. Our identity is that we're chosen people and that we're mercied. Our identity is not drawn from our own actions, but from being acted upon. By a compassionate and loving God. Number three, we are a treasured possession. We're God's treasured possession. Verse 9 tells us, he says, God, that we are God's special possession. To emphasize this fact in verse 10, he says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Back in Deuteronomy 7, when describing Israel... It says, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. In 2 Corinthians 6.16 it says, I will be their God and they will be my people, my possession. And I will dwell among them. God has chosen us. He's acted out of compassion to show us mercy. And the result of that is that we're now his treasured possession. Number four, we are holy. Because we've been chosen, we've been rescued with the treasured possession of God, we're now set apart. We are in Christ. And because he is holy, so too are we holy. Number five, we're royal priests. You are a royal priesthood. We have direct, unfiltered, immediate access to God. We don't need a human intermediary anymore because God has provided one mediator between God and man, Jesus. And so because we are in him, we have this direct access to the Father through the Son. Those are five truths, a very whistle-stop tour. Probably could do a, a talk on each one of those things. But they're truths about who we are, truths about our identity. And it's as we find our identity that we're led Into our destiny. We're going to reread the passage and this time we're going to look at it through the lens of of understanding what our identity tells us about our purpose. So please turn back with me to verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We've been given this new identity and it leads us into our purpose. And that purpose is outworked through the church. The church is God's dwelling place. It has status. It has ministry. It's central to God's plans for bringing his kingdom into. Here on earth. In the verses preceding the ones that we've read this morning, Peter describes the church as being the new temple of God. It's built on the foundation of Jesus. He says, Jesus is the cornerstone. We sang that in one of our songs this morning. Now, the cornerstone is traditionally the first stone which is laid in a structure, and all the other stones are laid in reference to it. A cornerstone, it marks the geographical location by orientating a building in a specific direction. Jesus is the cornerstone. We are the living stones, the people of God. The living stones are built upon him. And as living stones, our identity leads us to our purpose, which is to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. These words are a reinforcement of what Peter says in verse 5, that we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's go back and look at those five truths about our identity and see how they lead us into our purpose. So number one, we are chosen. Peter connects Christians living in, in Asia Minor with God's promise to restore and renew Israel his chosen people, through a second exodus. The Gospels and Acts, they tell us about how Jesus is the new, better Moses. How he's led his people, God's people, out of the sin and death and bondage of sin and death through his death and resurrection. Peter highlights in verse 10, he applies the language in verse 10 that we find from the prophet Hosea in the Old Testament. Hosea was a prophet and he spoke about how God would one day restore Israel after it had rejected him. Hosea spoke, he said, how God would show no mercy and how Israel would not be his people. But one day, the number of children of Israel would be like the number of grains of sand in the sea and become the living uh, children of the living God. So Peter here is saying Hosiah, he was talking about you. He's talking about how Christians are scattered across the globe that are now God's people. The church takes people from all nations all socioeconomic backgrounds, all cultures, all ethnicities and has created a new people, a chosen people. God's grace and love and glory is displayed when the church gathers people from all walks and circumstances of life because it demonstrates the radical inclusivity of the gospel. There is no sin so great that it was without the redemptive love of the Father. The gift of grace and mercy is exactly that. It's a gift which can be received. You can't earn it or deserve it. We can only receive it. Our purpose is connected to our chosenness. The church needs you because as we gather together this assorted group of people who may under normal circumstances not spend time together, reflect God's inclusive love to a deeply divided world. What's your purpose? Well, it's to come together. To come together as you are. Worship alongside our brothers and sisters. And be God's chosen people together. Number two, we are mercied. God saw the situation we're in and he acted. He's a God of compassion. Seeing that we were dead in our sin, unable to save ourselves, he stepped into the world he created and rescued us. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 40 because it gives such a powerful image of what God has done. It says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. You see, we were stuck with no hope of rescuing ourselves. So moved with compassion, God acted. He showed us mercy when our actions deserved condemnation. Our identity is that we've been shown mercy and our purpose is to live out and display that mercy to a world which is quick to place itself on the moral high ground and condemn those it deems to have failed. Romans 3.23 is the great leveller and is deeply offensive in the world that we live in. It says, There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter where you live, where you come from, what your past is, what your present is, what nationality you are, what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what you've done, who you've loved, how you've loved, who you've hurt. All have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed up. But we're all able to be redeemed. Verse 24. All are justified freely by his grace the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. There is no sin so great that it can separate you from the love of God. Our purpose is to speak out that truth in order that we might display his mercy and compassion, the mercy and compassion of God to a world which is so hurt and so broken and so lost that we might invite them to become part of God's family. That we might invite them to receive the love and the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of God. Because all have sinned, we need to live out that vision of be love, without caveats. That's our purpose. Number three. One of the common themes that we're God's people, one of the common themes through this, this talk series has been contrasting the way that culture defines our identity and how Christians define our identity. Our culture says we find value in what we do, in how we act, in how we love, and how we work, in where we work. But there's an identity crisis unfolding before our eyes as people wrestle and strive to find their place. They wrestle and they strive to find value, to find where they fit, where they belong. Peter tells us, we're God's special possession. We belong to him and we're his people and we belong to one another. The church is a group of individual living stones, built on the foundational cornerstone of Jesus. Not only are we treasured and loved by God, but we belong to part of a community of other treasured and loved people. Our identity is that we're God's treasured possession. Our purpose is that we come together as community, as families, secure in that knowledge that we're treasured. And that we invite others to experience the joy and the freedom of knowing that we're treasured people. We can show people that they can cease to strive. They can lay down their longings for acceptance. And they can relax into the arms of an adoring Father who sees them, who hears them, who knows them, and says, You are my treasured possession. This is good news. Number four, we're holy. The primary focus of a holy nation is its distinctiveness from the world. And it carries with it some moral implications which Peter outlines in verses 11 and 12. It says, dear friends, I urge you. As foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Israel was geographically located at a crossroads in the ancient world. As a holy nation... It was located to display God's kingdom and his rule to those in the surrounding nations. That they might see God's glory and his goodness. Israel failed. God promised to raise up a new Israel that would draw the nations to itself. And the church is the new Israel. But the kingdom of God is not of this world. Israel was a physical nation, it could be seen, it could be visited. The church is not a physical nation, it's part of a heavenly kingdom. It's displayed to the world whenever God's people meet together, wherever God's people are. In Jesus we're holy, that's our identity. Our holiness leads us into our purpose. To display and to bring the kingdom of God into the world around us. One of our core values is kingdom. It's where the rule and the reign of God is displayed. Our purpose is to display that rule and reign of God to those around us. We're like the pop-up embassy for the kingdom of God. Biblical commentator Juan Sanchez says there is nothing more exciting or more significant that will happen in your area this Sunday than the meeting of God's people. There is no people with a greater identity by grace than the collection of fallen people that God has called together to live as elect exiles in your community. Our purpose is that we come together as the people of God as a holy nation and as we do that we display the kingdom of God to the community around us. Take opportunities to pray with people. Take opportunities to encourage and raise up others. Take opportunities to love those who in society who have been told they're unlovable. Our purpose is to demonstrate the kingdom of God by living out that vision of be love. Number five, we're royal priests. The church is called to mediate God's blessing to the surrounding world as we offer our lives as living sacrifices. To show the world the joy of living under the rule of God. It's why Peter takes time to outline the importance of how we live our life in those verses 11 and 12. But we're also called to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into light. Our identity as royal priests leads us to our purpose. As ones who declare to the world the good news of salvation offered in Jesus. That anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. There's so, no sin so, so great that it can separate you from the love of God. If you'll turn from it and you'll turn to God. Accepting his forgiveness and his grace. And speaking out this good news has always been... The purpose of the church. It's always been the purpose of the people of God. In Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when it comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. The call in our lives has always been to tell others about the truth of Jesus. Many times we can be led into thinking that people will know the gospel because of our deeds. But the mandate given to us from God is wider than just actions. It's words too. Displaying the kingdom of God to others undergirds the gospel. It doesn't replace it. We've got good news. We've got great news to share with people. We're to announce to the broken, the hurting, the searching, the oppressed, the abused, the downcast that King Jesus has come. And he's come to end all suffering. He's come to end injustice and pain and sorrow. And usher in a new kingdom. A kingdom of peace and love and grace and justice and righteousness. It's a kingdom that's available to all people in all circumstances with all past and all presence. It's available now. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to deserve it. It's all about God's grace. And it's received by saying sorry for the things that we've done. That have hurt people and hurt ourselves. And it's about turning to Jesus. Thanking Jesus that he took our place on the cross in order that we might be forgiven. Might be restored into relationship with God. And it's about asking God to send the Holy Spirit to fill us. To help us to live our life for God and with God. This is good news. Especially in a world as divided and searching and broken and hurting as ours. But as royal priests we're also called to declare praises to God. We offer praises to God as the one who has saved us. The one who has transferred us from darkness into light. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer God a sacrifice of praise. The dedication of our lives to God comes with praise on our lips. And the word that Peter uses for praise here is is taken from Isaiah. It's a Hebrew word, it means praiseworthy deeds. In the Greek, it translates as mighty deeds. Because praise is more than thanksgiving. Because it moves from thanking God for what he's done into adoration for who he is. We rejoice in God himself. Edmund Clowney writes, The spiritual worship has no earthly altar or ark. It has transcended the elaborate ceremonials of Old Testament worship. Worship remains central to calling not only of the Christian but of the Christian church the worship of God finds its burning focus in lifting up the name of God in adoration this function of the priesthood cannot be delegated God's praise must arise from the lips of all his people we adore God not to get his favor but because adoration is our response to grace We adore God not to get his favour, but because adoration is our response to his grace. We praise God because just as in the Gospels, Jesus called Lazarus from in his tomb, brought him out of death and into life. So he has called us out of darkness and out of death and brought us into life and into light. The temptation is to read our identity as that we're holy and that we're a royal priesthood and to want to withdraw from the world. And I'll be honest, there are times when that feels like it would be a better option. But to do so misses the reason that we live. It misses our calling. It misses our purpose. You see, believe that our identity is given to us from God, that we're chosen, that we're mercy, we're holy, we're royal priests, that we're God's people then our purpose is laid out clearly. We're to dedicate our lives to God, to be a living sacrifice. We're to display his transforming works in our lives in such a way that others around us will see God's kingdom, even if they don't know that that's what it is. We're to declare to those around us the good news of the kingdom of God. How do we do that? Well, very quickly, there's four things that I think will help. Number one, word and spirit, both always. We need to be in the Word. In the world we live in with all that's coming around the corner, we need to be in the Word, being reminded of who we are, who our identity is in Christ. Be reminded of the truth about what God has done, how he loves, his faithfulness to his people through the generations. To be excited by the fact that Christians are being pushed to the edges and the outskirts of society because it's always been in the margins where the kingdom of God has broken out in great power. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Think back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Wait until you've been filled with the Spirit. Then go and be my witnesses. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives to convict us when we fall and to give us wisdom when we read the Word. We need the Spirit to give us courage in the face of fear and strength when we feel weak and helpless. We need the Spirit to give us grace in the moments of trial. And peace in the midst of our storms we no longer belong to this world and so we need the Holy Spirit to help us live as exiles and strangers in it number two prayer and worship we're God's beloved children welcome in his holy presence We seek his wisdom, trust his faithfulness, pour out our lives before him in praise and adoration. Our identity leads to our purpose and that is to declare the praises of God. To live lives where we we extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Number three, family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We're united in love, serving one another as we grow together in the fruit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We live out our purpose by using the gifts that we've been given to serve the church family. We encourage one another. We lift each other up. We speak life and encouragement into one another that we continue to run the race set before us and not give up. We're a chosen people, a chosen race made up of people from all different backgrounds. All races, and all cultures, all socio economic groups. And our purpose is to come together and unite as the people of God. We're created for community, connection. There's nowhere more exciting or more important to be than here on a Sunday morning. With the chosen people of God. As we declare His praise. Number four is kingdom. We love as God has loved. We share the good news of the kingdom with generosity, with creativity, with courage, so that every heart, every circumstance is transformed by his love. Our identity as a royal priesthood means that our purpose is to dedicate, display, and declare the kingdom of God to the world around us. Taking every opportunity to to be loved, to demonstrate to a hurting, confused, fearful, divided world that there is hope. There is another way. We usher in the rule and the reign of God into all situations, all circumstances. Our identity leads us into our destiny. We've been created for more. Our identity is who God says that we are. Because of his grace. Because of his love. Because we are in Christ Our lives have meaning. Our lives have purpose. You see, it's when we find the answer to the question, Who am I? we also find the answer to the question, What am I here for? I wonder if the band could start to make their way up, please. I'm going to pray. And then we'll say bye to those that are watching on the live stream this morning. And we'll just move into a time of worship here. Father, we praise and exalt your name. We thank you that in your son, Jesus, we have a new identity and a new purpose. As the foundations that our world have built its hope on shake and fall. We thank you that our lives and our hope is built on Jesus, the cornerstone. This morning, we want to offer ourselves once more as a living sacrifice to you. Let our lives display, demonstrate, and declare your kingdom to the world around us. Holy Spirit, come and fill us afresh. That we might have courage and perseverance not to withdraw from culture, nor to conform to it but to fill it with your glory.